Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of Jesus our Priest, and today's program is a continuation from the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was giving a comparison between the temple that will eventually be built in Jerusalem and the true temple in heaven, the true tabernacle where the Lord Jesus is our priest. And I was making some very distinct comparisons. And through those comparisons, I then began to describe the reality that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That when you are born again of the Spirit of God, when you are born again according to the truth of the gospel, then by definition, being born again means being made alive, that the salvation that we have is only possible because the living God, His Spirit, dwells within us. And of course, the only reason why the Holy Spirit will remain is because all of our sin has been completely forgiven, and there was no sin left unforgiven when the Lord Jesus died on our behalf on the cross. When that took place the sin issue between humanity and God was over so that our God can give us the free gift of His Spirit, His life, which will remain within us eternally because there is no sin that would possibly cause that life to depart from within us again. And so by definition, because of the presence of our God within us who are saved, who are born-again believers, because of His presence being within us, we are His temple because of him being within us, not because we were set up as a temple and then we invited him over saying, hey, doesn't this look like a good temple to take up residency within? That's not the way it worked at all. It is because of his presence that we are his temple. This was described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, among many other passages, but I just picked these. That was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Collectively, altogether, as the people of God, we are also considered to be a dwelling place of our God, a dwelling place for our God, that collectively we are also considered to be the temple of God. This was described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Also in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, 
This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, of course, the spiritual sacrifices that he's referring to is really just yourself. It is what you have received from your God that is given to him to be available, to be used in the service for whatever it is that he has for you to do. And he will prepare the works for you to walk into. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was introducing some very important comparisons between the Lord Jesus as our high priest and the high priest in Israel of the Levitical priesthood. One of the important comparisons is that the high priest was at the temple there in Jerusalem. However, the Lord Jesus is in the true temple in heaven. Another important comparison is that the Levites were throughout the land of Israel in the local synagogues, and Jesus is in your heart, a definite distinction. The Levites lived in the city of priests, and we as Priests of God or representatives of God live in the cities. That's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Levitical priesthood could provide for mercy, as described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. However, that was the limit by which they could operate. They could say that you can obtain God's mercy through the covering over your sins. But through the Lord Jesus, we have mercy and grace. And grace is, of course, distinct from mercy in the sense that it has to do with his graciousness, of his gratuity, of what he has given to us because of what he has done for us. The Levitical priest was also prevented by death from continuing in office, and yet the Lord Jesus lives forever. The high priest entered within a copy. He entered within a copy of the temple, and Jesus enters within the true temple of God. And the high priest entered once a year to stand and make atonement. However, this priest sits in the presence of our God every day, interceding on the basis of the propitiation that he already executed on our behalf. And so there are some very strong distinctions between the two priesthoods and the relationship that our God has with us in comparison with the relationship that he had with the people through the Levitical priesthood. Consider also Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, we have a very important description of the Lord Jesus, where it says in verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who can definitely sympathize with our weaknesses, one who can relate to us in a very unique way. You see, the Lord Jesus was not a priest when he was here on earth. He did not have anything to do with the Levitical priesthood as a priest. He certainly, I'm confident, he certainly gave his tithes and his offerings and that he participated in that way. He certainly was in the temple on occasion and during his ministry he was there in a very unwelcomed way, I suppose you could say it that way, that no one was really interested in him except for the people, of course. That the leadership, the priests, were not interested in him or his ministry, per se, 
Some were, but not all, of course. But this is a person who can definitely relate to us in a very unique way. He did not survive on the tithe. He did not live off of the labor of other people. Now, the Levitical priests did, of course, have labor to do. They had to sit as judges. They had to resolve conflicts and other matters. I'm not saying that they did not labor. But what I am saying is that, in general, the labor that the people performed was quite different. It was quite unique from the labor that the Levitical priests performed. And their ability to survive as people was very different from the way that the Levitical priests survived. Jesus worked just as we work. He worked as a carpenter. However, I believe that that would be better translated as a stonecutter because there were not very many trees at that time that were available for him to do woodworking with. But either way, he definitely labored for a living. He worked in order to sustain himself and in order to take care of his obligations. This is a man who knew what it was like to be oppressed by the religious leaders, oppressed in the sense that he would be under their authority, under their governorship. He was under the authority of Rome as well. That was a form of oppression. And so he knew what it was like to live under that and still function and live and manage to find a way to survive. On earth, he had no place in that priesthood, but he did know what it was like to be under the authority of that priesthood. He knew what it was like to be oppressed by the world, the Romans, and also by the temptations of life that he certainly would struggle with. He would struggle with temptations just as we did, in his own way, that is. I'm confident that he struggled with the sins of the pride of life and the lust of the flesh in different ways. I mean, I certainly have not been tempted like he was tempted. At no time have I ever been tempted to turn a stone into bread, for example. I've never experienced that temptation. But in the principles, in the concepts, in the philosophy of struggling with sin and dealing with the temptations of life, he knew what that was like because he was here. He lived here. He was a part of our lives. He could relate to us in a way that no priest could really have been able to relate to us because he lived in a way that we did, assuming that we're not priests. But of course, because of this, he is able to sympathize with us. He is able to relate to us. He is able to address the issues that we really deal with in a much more personal, intimate way. This is why he says in verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, what would be this time of need? Well, first of all, we need mercy for the sins that we commit. And when you consider the sins that we commit, it's very important to understand that the reason why we commit sins is, of course, first of all, because we want to. But the reason why we want to is because we have needs in our hearts. We have a need for people to love us. We have a need to be accepted. We have a need to be wanted. We have a need for purpose in our lives. We have a need for understanding of the world that we are a part of. We have a need for safety and security, for respect and honor. These are needs that we have. And the temptation of sin really deals with these needs. It deals with the needs in our hearts. No matter what sin you struggle with, I can virtually guarantee you that the root cause of the struggle that you have has to do with the temptation that you could have perhaps these needs addressed in some way. All of the sins of life, I believe, deal with the deepest needs of our heart. The Lord Jesus will provide us with mercy for the struggles that we have and for the sins that we commit. Mercy in the sense that he does not hold our sins against us because he died for those sins. But he does that so that he can give us his grace 
And his grace, his graciousness, his gratuity, that which he gives us is what we truly need. It is then, for example, through the giving of his love that he meets the deepest needs of our hearts. For example, not keeping any records of our wrongs is one description of the love of God. His patience, his long-suffering, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control, these are all descriptions of how he relates to us in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of the struggles that we have. And so when we have a need, the need has to do with our needs. It has to do with the fact that we were created by our God to have these needs. However, we were also created in such a way that he is the only one who can possibly meet these needs. And this puts us in a very important circumstance, in a very important situation, and that is that our relationship with our God is then defined on the basis of him meeting our needs, of him reaching out to us and giving to us what we need. And this is a very unique relationship between a priest and his people. Because throughout the course of history, throughout the course of time, and every other religion in general, in one way or another, the people exist for the purpose of serving the priests. But this is a priest who serves his people. And this is the unique aspect of the Lord Jesus that separates him definitely from any other priest. There are many other ways that he is separated, but this is the most important to me, that the Lord Jesus is a priest who lives to serve his people. I mean, if you were to live to serve him, if you were to serve him in some capacity or in some way, if that was going to be your relationship with him, then how are you going to do that? How are you going to possibly serve him? How could you serve him? Could you give a tithe or an offering or money of some kind? Where are you going to deliver it? To what account? To what bank? How are you going to possibly give him anything like that? Any money of any kind? Can you give him the grain from your field if you have a field that you grow grain in? Or one of the animals that you may have if you're growing livestock? Can you present any of those to him? You can't. There's no way for you to do that unless you have some special elevator in your house that takes you up into the tabernacle of God in heaven. If you got one of those, let me know. I'd like to go along with you and so I can see it right now for myself. But that's not the case. He is in the true tabernacle and there is no way to deliver anything to him. This is a very important issue that there is nothing that you can give to your God. There is no way that you can serve him at his temple. That is not possible. He has not allowed for that. He has not made it possible. Now, I realize that there are lots of other guys around, and I can certainly name a few for you if you're interested. There are people everywhere who have built temples, or they call them cathedrals, or they call them churches, or they call them houses of God, or whatever they call these places, and they have altars that they have set up in there, and they'll tell you that. Come down to the altar and give your offering, or come down to the altar and give your sacrifice of your confession to obtain forgiveness, or come down and give your gift, or whatever it may be. There are people who exist for the purpose of providing you with services like that so that you can have a place to serve. And your service is giving your offerings or your tithes or other wealth that you may have or your time in order to serve there as a volunteer. There are many ways that you can serve these temples. But the Lord Jesus is not interested in your service, not in that capacity. 
He can certainly make use of these things. He can make use of these circumstances. He can make use of the things that people do. I certainly believe that, absolutely. But when you look at the real perspective of him being our priest and we being his people and his temple, his tabernacle being somewhere that we don't have access to right now, that we cannot participate in in a way that you would normally expect, that should tell you something. That should really tell you something and show you something very real about the relationship that you actually have with this particular priest, the priest, the Lord Jesus. When Paul was speaking to the people in Athens at the Areopagus, he said something very powerful concerning this. In Acts chapter 17, when he was in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22, he says this very thing, exactly what I am describing. He told the people there as he stood up, it says in verse 22, So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Paul refers to an altar, an altar to a God, in this case an altar to an unknown God. These were places where people gave gifts, gave their offerings. That was their worship, what they would do for their God, how they would serve their God. I've heard this a lot in many churches that I've been in where somebody inevitably says, you exist for the purpose of serving God. That's why you're here. But continue to read in verse 24. In verse 24, this is Acts chapter 17, verse 24. The God who made the world and all things in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. That's our God. He is a God who does not dwell in temples made with hands. And so if you ever hear anybody say anything about God dwells in this temple or he is here in our presence because we are here in this building, you know you're definitely listening to somebody who doesn't have a clue about anything about the Lord Jesus. This is a God who dwells within his people, not within the buildings that they can construct with their hands. His temple is the one in heaven, and he put that up without anybody's help. He may have perhaps gotten some help from some of his angels, but... I'm sure you understand what I mean. But this is a God who doesn't need anything, but instead, he gives to all people life and breath. This is a God who serves. This is a God who gives. That is the distinction between the Lord Jesus as a priest and any other priest who could potentially exist. He gives to people life and breath, and these, of course, are very important But then he also says, and all things. And you know, I checked, and it actually says there in verse 25, at the end of verse 25, all, all things. So if he said that he has given to us all things, what do you suppose he left out? Has he left anything out? If he has given to us all things, and we do not know that he has given to us all things, is that because he failed to give us anything? Absolutely not. It's only because we have not discovered or we do not understand what we have already been given in Christ Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, it is written in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything 
pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, that he has given everything to us pertaining to life and godliness. Do you suppose he left anything out? I don't think so. This is a God who lives to serve us. We do not live or exist to serve him. This is a vital distinction that you must make, that you must understand, because if you do not see this, if you do not understand this, then you will not receive what he is giving. It is not possible for you to take what he is offering, to receive what he is giving so that you can live out of the abundance of what you have. And so what is going to be your alternative You're going to have to live with what you do not have, hoping that you can somehow in some way gain what you do not have to fulfill the demands of your heart, of your spirit, of what you truly need. And where are you going to get that? And how are you going to get that? In what way are you going to be reconciled to God that you are not already reconciled to God? In what way are you going to live In what way are you going to relate to him so that he can now finally give to you what he supposedly has already given to you? That just isn't going to be possible. And so in the meantime, you only have one alternative, and that's to turn to sin, because you certainly are not going to get your needs met by the living God. There's no way for that to happen, because if you reject what he has already given, how do you expect that he is going to give you something else? If you're not going to believe what he has already done for you, If you're not going to believe the truth that he has already revealed, then what else are you going to ask him for? And do you really expect he is going to respond? You must know the truth. You must recognize the truth. And you must believe the truth. And you must live out of the abundance of what he has given to you. And I sincerely believe that our maturity as believers can easily be measured by our discovery of what we have already been given by him because of what he did. You know, as I was describing the temple in Jerusalem earlier, I was describing the fact that this temple that is going to be constructed is going to have a holy place, a holy of holies. And this is a place that you are not going to be allowed to enter. I feel very confident in saying that, that you will not have permission to go into this place and see with your own eyes the Ark of the Covenant there within the most holy place. I sincerely believe that. But the relationship with the Lord Jesus, the true high priest, is of course very different, and this is no exception. They may not permit you to enter in to this counterfeit temple that they construct. And when I say it that way, you should say, yeah, well, then what's the big deal? And that's the reality. It is no big deal. But this priest who you have is a different priest. He is a priest who has gone into the most holy place But he has gone in, in what is described as a forerunner. Someone who has run ahead to where you are going to go. And you will soon arrive where he has gone. He is described in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 20 as a forerunner. I'm going to begin in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 where it says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He has entered within the veil as a forerunner, which means that he has gone ahead 
ahead of us into the most holy place, but the true holy place, the one that the Lord himself has erected. And when your race is over, when you have finished this life that you are living right now, you will enter within the true tabernacle of God. How that will play out, I of course don't know, but I know that one day I will step into the true tabernacle and I will walk right through the outer court into the inner court and I will approach the veil and walk right past that veil. I will go past that veil into the most holy place to the true Ark of the Covenant, the true mercy seat of my God, where my God sits, not the counterfeit, but the true temple, the true mercy seat, and the true God will be there, and I will be right there in the most holy place at the end of my race. And that will be a privilege that I cannot describe in words, and I will never be able to describe in words. And the feeling that will go within and through me is definitely well beyond what I sense right now when I consider that that will eventually take place. Because my Jesus, who is my priest, is a forerunner who has led the way, and he is there sitting down waiting for me, and one day I will see him for who he is, and I will be with him in his holy temple. And there is nothing that I can possibly conceive of that could compare with that. And that is where my hope rests. That is where my peace is, and that is why I can rest in the life that I experience right now because of the expectation of what I'm going to experience in the future. And I sincerely believe that if you are a born-again believer in whom the Holy Spirit indwells, that you will be there one day also. And you will also know what I am describing in the context of something that cannot even be described. It will be a wonderful event, and I certainly look forward to it. And at that time, knowing him as my priest will definitely be realized in a greater way, in a way that I cannot even conceive of. And when I see him for who he is, I will be very thankful. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net